Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another week of the Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brian Wheeler, and for this Memorial Day Monday, and happy Memorial Day to everybody, and also, of course, to our veterans, thank you for your service as uh, we celebrate on this day, and a beautiful day in the wonderful city of Portland, and it's a travel day for the Blazers as they head out to Denver for Game 5 tomorrow after a spectacular Game 4 at Moda Center on Saturday as they routed the Nuggets to uh, tie the series at two games apiece. Let's talk about the series now. We had his partner on just a little while ago, and and uh, in all fairness, we have to have him on as well. He is the uh, original host of uh, Blazers Outsiders with Danny Barang, of course, and he's in his fourth season in that role. Speaking, of course, of Joe Simons. Joe, how are you, sir? Wheels, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I'm excited to talk about the Blazers a little bit on an off day, obviously on a Monday, and uh, just looking forward to rapping with you for a while. Yeah, you don't uh, normally get a chance to to talk Blazers on an off day. It's always always a game day, always after the game. Which is, um, you know, having having hosted that kind of show in the past, I know that that's always a tricky show to do because if the team does well, then it's a fun show and uh, lots of happy things to talk about and review and so forth. But if they don't do so well, eh, not not necessarily the most fun show to do. But uh, you guys you guys find a way to make things as uh, palpable as possible, even after losses, which is a true testament to uh, your chemistry and also to the approach you must take to the show itself. Yeah, I appreciate that compliment. First of all, Dan and I have a running bit that it's actually more fun to do our show when the Blazers lose by 30 or 40 because we basically take the first segment or two, we break down the game, kind of discuss, okay, why did the Blazers lose by so much? But then the rest of the show, we're just kind of freewheeling. We're checking out people on Twitter, seeing how much they're melting down or taking it in stride. Uh, the show will get kind of weird. DJ OG1 has been a part of the show. He's now joined us on uh, games where they're away because he obviously has his duties at the Moda Center and he gets weird with us. So it can be a lot of fun. But yeah, doing doing the postgame show is interesting because in a lot of ways, it's somewhat formulaic, right? You have the game that happens. You have player sound. And even though the show is an hour, there are times when I'm driving home. Most shows and I think, God, Danny and I didn't even talk about this player. Or Dame will have 30 points, but, you know, Norm had 32 or whatever, and we didn't get a chance to talk about Dame in totality how we should. So in some ways, it's kind of an easy show to do, but in other ways, it's almost as though there isn't enough time to discuss everything that you'd want to. And, of course, since you guys are waiting for a postgame sound, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get in that respect, so you can't necessarily plan for everything because uh, very often I'm sure that there's something in that sound that brings you to another topic or sends you in a different direction depending on what somebody might say. Exactly right. Our, our producer, Nick Elliott, who is, is, is great. He, he makes us look great. I can't, I can't give him enough credit, but he'll, he'll give us a rundown and we have some general topics that we know we want to hit. But, you know, if Nurk is talking about Kendrick Perkins, as we saw in the last post game, that all of a sudden became a segment that we hadn't planned to talk about. Or if Dame is going to be incredibly honest about the rest, like he was in game three, that then becomes a full segment for us. So player sound being unpredictable is fun in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it does, it does lead to some challenges, but good challenges, challenges that force us to be creative on the fly, which I think is where Danny and I thrive. And now being in our fourth season, as you mentioned, we've done, you know, some three, 400 shows together. Uh, it can just be a quick glance and I can know exactly what Danny's thinking. I'll just let him go and, and, and let him rant for two, three <laughs> minutes as he does best. Our Believe in Blazers podcast is brought to you by uh, bet online. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, bet online, as you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, it's the best way 
to uh, place your bets, and it's free to sign up. All you have to do is head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And of course, they have lots of uh, playoff, uh, uh, playoff uh, fancy, you know, those, those kind of nifty bets that uh, you uh, will see on Super Bowls and so forth. So uh, that's available for you on Bet Online. All right, let's uh, talk to you about how you originally became a Blazers outsider. How did that come about? Yeah, well, without getting into my entire CV, uh, I had a lot of broadcast experience going into a cattle call, basically, that they had. Um, NBC Sports Northwest knew they wanted to do this fan-centric show called Blazers Outsiders. So there was about 15 of us, I think, in an original audition. And we just did as if you would watch like a reality show. It was me. Uh, I did a, a run with Jamie Hudson and Bree Amaranthus, who used to work in the market and now is in Dallas. Um, I did a test run with Danny and, and Shane, who was uh, with me and Dan for a couple of years. And eventually we just got whittled down over the course of a month or so. And they offered me the gig along with Danny and Shane. And we did the show on Facebook for about three months or so. And we tricked them into putting us on the air um, on NBC <laughs> Sport Northwest late night. Uh, and then from there, we got offered uh, the kind of a full-time gig to do the post-game show, and and we've been doing that for three full years. So four seasons, three immediately following Blazer games. It's 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 gone by fast. Now you easily had the most uh, broadcast experience of the original crew. Uh, was that what they were looking for as they were putting uh, the announce group together? I think so. I think I think they wanted the dynamic of here's kind of the quarterback and someone who can direct traffic and make sure that we're moving the show along, that it's actually a television show and not just three guys sitting around at a bar. I mean, that's that's sort of the conceit of what they wanted originally, but it still needs to work as a traditional sports television program. And coming in, I had done, you know, three, four years of play-by-play -play for basketball. Uh, I'd, I'd hosted a, a news talk show in the area, uh, Drive Time News for KXL, um, had a had a variety of jobs in, in broadcast. I'd, I'd hosted a TV show previously, uh, gosh, probably about 10 years ago now. So I had all that experience to be able to direct a show like this. But that being said, Wheels, um, Danny has been requesting uh, from some of the digital team to uh, dig in the archives and look at some of our earlier shows and kind of compile a, a reel for himself. And uh, it is a humbling experience to watch yourself when you first started an endeavor like this and think you were very good at it compared to what you are now. Those first couple shows were rough. I am I am so grateful for the fans to sticking with us because uh, bumpy bumpy beginnings led to where we are now. Well, you've uh, touched on it a little bit, but what's it like to work with a? I think we we would agree a unique character like uh, Danny Meringue. Yeah, it definitely took me. And look, all the stuff I'm going to say here, I'm sure I've said to Danny's face, and I would if I haven't already. Uh, no, Dan 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 is a great guy. It is rare, and and I'm sure you've experienced this as well to have chemistry with somebody on the air and also genuinely be able to get along with them off the air. Like Danny and I have hung out outside of the office many times and he is incredibly different than me. If it wasn't this experience, I, Dan and I would have never crossed paths. We're just, we're just totally different people. He is someone that you have to just let go. You have to wind him up, let him go do his thing. But the one thing that Danny does, and I have to give him credit for this in some sort of form because uh, this I've never said to him, he gives me a lot of latitude. He, he is very capable at being the brunt of a joke for the betterment of the program. 
Um, and Danny knows what works on TV and what doesn't. And he's very, very sharp, not only with his basketball acumen, obviously I can't compete with Dan when it comes to knowledge of basketball. That's just, that's just not my thing. I'm, you know, directing traffic, hosting the show. But in, in addition to Danny's basketball smarts, he also has a really good sense of what works and what doesn't on television. And it makes for a, a quality program. He is, he is a really good partner. And uh, I, I, I feel lucky that we've had these four years together. Now you come off clearly as the bigger Blazer fan. Are you, are you a lifelong Oregonian? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll say yes. My parents would disagree. I was born in Connecticut. We moved here when I was five. So as I always tell them, if I've lived, you know, 85, 90% of my life in one place, that's where I'm from. So yeah, I'm an Oregonian. I went to Clackamas high school. Uh, I'm a Coug. I went to Wazoo. So go Cougs. I know we have some Cougs, not only in the Blazers family, sure, but yeah. also uh, all throughout the media landscape here in Portland. But yes, I am. I am an Oregonian lifelong Blazers fan. And uh, it's been, it's been really fun to be a part of this, 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 this Damian Lillard era, which, uh, which is now in its ninth, 10th season. It's pretty crazy. All right. Well, let's talk playoffs. Uh, how impressed were you with the uh, Blazers effort and uh, tying the series by routing Denver in game four on Saturday? Yeah, I think, I think going into game four, I would have been surprised with another outcome, Brian, given the way game three went, given the way the Blazers played in game one, um, this is this is looking like it's going to be a series that goes the entire way. So even though Portland uh, fell in game three, the effort that they showed in game four is something I would have expected. I would have been very surprised to see them come out and not give that kind of performance in a game that, frankly, they had to win. I mean, if they go down 3-1 heading back to Denver, uh, I think the series is pretty much over at that point. But give them credit. I mean, it's, it, it's one thing to know you have to do it. It's another thing to do it. The, the biggest takeaway for me, I guess, on the defensive side of the ball is that Joker didn't get going, which is nice. I don't know if I expect to see that same performance out of him uh, tomorrow as we head back to Denver. But Norm Powell, I mean, my whole thing with Norm Powell is if you're going to have a three-guard lineup, use all three guards. It's one thing to get DJ or excuse me, to get uh, Dame going, to get CJ going. Um, but Norm always kind of feels like the odd man out. And in game three, he had a very similar start to what he had in game four. I think he made his first four shots in both games, but in game three, they went away from him a little bit and he was standing in the corners and Norm needs to be engaged. Norm needs to run around. He needs to get to the bucket. He needs to get out and transition. And when that happens, there seems to be a direct correlation with this three point shot working as well. When Norm stands in the corners, they don't seem to go. When Norm stands in the corners after running around for several possessions and being in the flow of the offense, they seem to go down. And he was very aggressive at taking the ball to the basket as well. And, and really, first time in the series that uh, Nurkic wasn't in foul trouble, which obviously makes a, an entire difference in terms of how he matches up with Jokic. Yeah, exactly. And Blazers have lost two games this series, and Nurk fouled out of both. It's, that's not a coincidence. It was pretty apparent after game three that Ennis Cantor was going to be the odd man out because with him on the floor, along with Carmelo Anthony, this is, this is, I'm not exactly inventing the wheel here, but with Melo and Cantor on the floor together defensively, it's really, really bad. And it was especially bad in game three. It became quickly apparent that Cantor was not going to be able to play because Melo's contributions offensively are needed. He's been quite good in the series on offense. So Rhonda Hollis Jefferson came in. Um, it wasn't really the situation where Stotts had to make the decision late in the game. Do I go with Nurkic, who's already played 33 minutes, and let him have that final shift against Jokic? Do I have Rondi in there for a few minutes and then go to Nurk, spelling him for a few minutes? It's going to be very interesting once we get into game five, game six, maybe even game seven, when you get in that third and fourth quarter, when Joker's played 33 minutes and Nurk has played 33 minutes, what then happens? What does Terry do? Does he chance it with Nurk? 
and potentially he's tired, commit some of those tired fouls, can't do as much defensively. Do you roll the dice with Rondé, maybe Derek Jones? It's basically the biggest decision Terry has to make in this series is what do you do with Nurk in those late game situations? So you get into a playoff series and uh, certainly the results are, are different uh, most of the time, uh, game to game. Uh, and um, also the type of games seem to be different, and, and especially in this series. So so have we learned anything in the first four games uh, with uh, both teams having won twice? Yeah, I think so. I, I think we've basically learned that Portland is who we thought they were. Like, I don't, I don't really think there's anything I've seen in this series that has been surprising, with the exception of Michael Porter Jr. not really being involved offensively to the degree that I thought he would. I, I thought Porter was going to shoot 17 to 20 times in this series, and it just really hasn't happened. Porter Jr. is averaging 12 shots a game so far in this series, which is much fewer than I thought. I, I think at the end of the day, Wheels, it comes down to a few things. Um, the assist to turnovers, if Portland limits the turnovers, if they have assists, which is indicative of ball movement and not a ton of isolation basketball, I think they're going to have a chance to win, but they also have to shoot the three better than Denver and, and probably significantly better. Um, I think if Portland makes somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five threes a game more than Denver limits, the turnovers passes the ball effectively and players convert on those open looks, Portland's going to win the series, whether or not that happens will be interesting because they're going to have to win one more in Denver. Anytime we get a long series, uh, there gets to be some tension on both sides. And some of that has started to surface a little bit. Um, have we started to, get any healthy hatred for uh, any individual nuggets uh, to this point? Uh, I think, I think Compasso is the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, <laughs> yes, speaking, I as, speaking, speaking to someone who is five, eight, I, I totally understand when you have someone that size running around on an NBA floor, especially one that's primary assignment is to pester Damian Lillard. He's going to be an easy target. I think it's great though. This I'm just so happy. We got this series wheels because it feels like this is now officially a rivalry that we have in the NBA based on what we had in the 2019 playoffs, what we have in this round, which presumably is going to go the distance at a minimum six games. I think it's fabulous. Compasso is the number one enemy. Uh, I would say you could probably throw Austin rivers in there as well, just because he's one of those unexpected guards that has knocked down some shots. I thought Michael Porter jr. Would be the villain going into this, but he just hasn't had enough of an impact um, I can't say Nikola Jokic is because I'm I'm one of the few Blazer fans who defends him. Uh, I understand the flopping and being very demonstrative to get calls, but he is just such a unique basketball player and does things that I've never seen someone at his size do before. I just think he's fascinating, and uh, I, I, I honestly don't have hatred for him. I've been yelling at uh, Austin Rivers the uh, last couple of games with the TV, so that, 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 that's definitely a guy who's kind of emerged in, in my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see, and they showed him kind of working on the sidelines, if Will Barton makes an appearance in this series, which certainly would improve uh, Denver's chances and obviously would give them a key component from their rotation with the regular season that hasn't been available to this point. Yeah, he'll, he'll make a big difference if he's healthy, and Nuggets fans are quick to point out on Twitter whenever any Blazer fans get a little – a little high and mighty about what, what's been going on in the series. They'll say, Hey, we're down, we're down some significant players and, and will, will make a difference. Um, defensively. I don't really know what Portland does other than perhaps Norman Powell um, defensively. And he will Barton as blazer fans. Well, know makes a big difference. And he did in the playoffs in 2019. And I think he would in this series as well. He'll spread the floor. He gets to the bucket very effectively. And look, 
the Nuggets traded their main guards to get Aaron Gordon and Aaron Gordon has not been good in this series. And if you can get Will Barton in there, someone with a little size to disrupt things a little bit, get out and transition, get the Denver crowd going. Uh, that could be a problem for Portland. So his injury status is a big factor in the series. Now looking at the playoffs in general, uh, anything surprise you so far with the, the other series uh, in terms of how they've gone? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I would, would say that the Dallas and, and Clippers series is now firmly back in LA's control. Unfortunately, uh, I came home from a barbecue yesterday afternoon. And I was like, Oh, let's catch the second half of this uh, Clippers Dallas game. And it was already a, a 30 point game in favor of LA. So unless, unless Luca can do something crazy, which he's certainly capable of, uh, unfortunately it looks like the Clippers are going to advance in that series. The Lakers sun series is fascinating. Um, even more so now that it appears that Anthony Davis isn't going to go in game five. Uh, back in Phoenix. So if Phoenix can get that game five, they'll have, they'll have a real opportunity to knock out the defending champs. And of course, the winner of that series plays the winner of the Portland Denver series. And I try not to get too far ahead of myself wheels, but it's, it's always fun to map out the path to the Blazers actually making a run. And, you know, the Nuggets and, 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 and Blazers, the winner of that series is going to have a real opportunity to get to the Western conference finals. Other than that, it was fun to see Memphis beat Utah in, in game one. Um, that one looks like it might be a gentleman's sweep at this point with Utah figuring it out. Um, the East, you know, it's been, it's been kind of disappointing in, in, in from, from a competitive standpoint. I was surprised Miami rolled over so quickly against Milwaukee. Yeah, I thought they yeah. put up a, a little bit of a fight, especially with Butler in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the direction they go in the offseason if they reset it all but i've had a lot of fun watching these playoffs i think the play-in tournament was a really good lead-in to what we have now and it's just been great basketball for about six weeks now yeah i was gonna ask you about the play-in so do you think uh you know we know that we knew this was going to be a unique season 72 games instead of 82 in the regular year uh obviously things compressed a bit and and uh we're gonna have an nba finals in july as it turns out uh so uh, they want to get everything back to normal in terms of the uh normal time frame of a season when we get around again to October. But uh, the question is, will the play-in be something that um, comes about as a regular feature of uh, the NBA when you get to the end of the regular season? And I think a lot of fans have liked it. Uh, I'm not so sure all the players have liked it, but I think anything that generates more interest and generates more, um, more, uh, more, more support from fan bases and more of them, I think that's something the league would would certainly take a look at. And also I'm sure they're making some money off of it too. So uh, they were recouping some dollars this year, but I'm sure they look at it as a potential bonus in, in years to come. So I'd be surprised if it doesn't, uh, maybe, maybe it'll get tweaked in some form, but I'd be surprised if, if in some way or another, it doesn't continue. I would so too, because it was such a best possible version of what it could be. I mean, you had Steph Curry and the Warriors against the defending champion Lakers in a game and then you had the Grizzlies taking care of the Golden State Warriors advancing, which was a great story in itself. They won two games to get in and then took that beat Utah in game one. Like I mentioned, I'd be really surprised if they got rid of two wheels. Um, not only did you have the consequence of these really exciting games, these elimination games that were even before the playoffs to kind of get everyone primed for NBA playoff basketball. But the end of the regular season meant so much more. I mean, just look at the Portland Trailblazers. If this was a normal season where the seven seed and the six seed didn't have a difference. It was just your opponent. And there wasn't any difference besides that. I don't think the Blazers try as hard as they do down the stretch. The incentive is not there. So it's not only the teams that are in the playing tournament, it's the teams that have a chance from the bottom to get up. It's the teams from, you know, four to five to six 
trying to avoid the play-in tournament. So you have an impact from probably like 10 to 12 teams per conference for the end of the regular season. And you've called many games, I'm sure, down the stretch in the regular season that probably didn't have too much to do with the standings or the final outcome and what would happen in the playoffs. And it made a lot of games that didn't mean much mean a lot. What would have been interesting uh, for the future of that concept, if the Lakers had gotten eliminated in the play in uh, round, I have a feeling that maybe there would have been some different thinking about having this continue, but considering that, uh, you know, the, the, the money teams, the teams that the, the league would probably love to see the networks would love to see uh, they got through. So I think uh, from that standpoint, they probably figured that this is a concept worth uh, continuing, but if somehow I, I think, especially the Lakers, if they had tripped up, and lost to the Warriors in the in the play-in and not even made the playoffs. I think that might have changed people's thinking about things. But uh, since it didn't happen that way, I have a feeling that it that it is going to continue. Yeah, I think so, too. Just to put a button on that, you know, in the future, we could be looking back at this in four or five years, and we have all these play-in games that are basically a version of Indiana and Charlotte, uh, Washington, Charlotte, you know, these matchups that we don't really want to see. Uh, there were some bad games in the Eastern Conference in the play-in, but because you had the Lakers, because you had the Warriors, you can really make an argument for, hey, this is really impactful basketball. But to your point, Wheels, yeah, if the defending champ gets knocked out, uh, I think that's a problem for the NBA, and this probably goes away real quick. Now, before the postseason began, uh, there were some rumblings that if the Blazers did not make a serious run uh, in the playoffs, and that's probably a subjective term, uh, but whatever people's concept of that is, that Terry Stott's uh, job could be in jeopardy as head coach. Um, is that something that uh, do you share that feeling if uh, things don't go well for the Blazers to to be at least uh, around or two or maybe more into this postseason when all is said and done? I do. I think coming into the season, uh, Terry was going to have to make a run with these guys to hang on to his job for another year. And then we had some pieces that came out toward the end of the season, Chris Hayden's article in Yahoo, which basically reaffirmed the fact that unless the Blazers make a serious run, they're probably going to be looking for a new head coach. I've had this discussion with Danny, with friends off the air, with my family. What does a serious run actually mean? And I think you have to do better than getting swept in the Western Conference Finals because we have seen that before. I think you have to go beyond that to actually reasonably look at this roster and say, okay, we just need to tweak some things and we're actually close to winning a title. I think if you get to the second round, you take the Lakers to seven games. Let's just say that as a, for instance, I don't think that's enough. I think if you get to the Western conference finals, you win one or two games, even that may not be enough kind of depending on the way it looks. So the Blazers need to make a substantial run, maybe nothing short of a Western conference championship to run this thing back. I think the tricky thing about trying to predict what uh, may or may not happen when the season is over is nobody seems to know what Jody Allen thinks and uh, she hasn't done any interviews. So it's hard to tell. Does she have any major input? Now we know her brother would certainly have, but uh, nobody seems to know. Will she step in? Will she have an opinion uh, that uh, carries some weight? Will it all be Neil O'Shea's decision about what happens? Uh, uh, it's it's, it's going to be very interesting. I, I always think that the, the odd factor in this whole thing is you have Warren Legary who represents Terry Stotts and represents Neil O'Shea. So I, I've asked him in the past, is it, what happens when it's Terry Stotts' time to get a new contract? Do you, do you stand, do you sit on one side of the table and go to Neil and say, look, we have to have this amount of money and this, this is many years in the contract. And then as he's about to answer, you go on the other side and say, hey, we can't do that. that that's, there's no way that we can. I mean, and he says, no, it, it all works out. I said, I don't know how, I don't know how it does sometimes, especially when you get into a sticky situation like this. I, I, I remember when the Lakers fired Mike Brown, 
He hmm. was a rep. He was represented by Legary, and then Mike D'Antoni came in. He was represented by Legary. So, so I can see Legary on the phone with Mike Brown saying, "Oh, these bastards! They they really did you wrong." Oh, wait, hold on a second. I have D'Antoni in that line. I'm trying to get him <laughs> to get to be your replacement. I mean, I just don't know how the guy represents everybody in the world. It seems when it comes to coaches and general managers. So I, I just don't know how in a tricky situation where somebody's being let go, how his input is uh, is 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 taken into account. But that being said. Uh, you know, and, and, and Neil hasn't given any, at least public opinion as to what he thinks about things. I wonder too, if sometimes we've seen in the past where maybe a head coach is told, uh, to replace certain members of his staff, uh, when things aren't going perfectly well, which of course saves his job. So I wonder if something like that could come up if, uh, there's a, maybe, maybe Neil O'Shea or somebody, somebody higher than Terry says, Hey, you got to bring in somebody who's a specialist in defense, uh, because we got it. We got to finally turn the corner on defense once and for all. And you got to bring that person in and maybe that's how it works out. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, Terry certainly has a great track record and, and uh, would stand up against a lot of coaches. So I'll be curious to see if they actually do pull the trigger, but as you say, um, it may take so, doing something in the playoffs that he has not done before with any of his previous teams uh, to be able to, 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 to uh, give him a, a prime sense of comfort that his job will continue. Well, I think there is this perception that, something can be done that leads the Blazers to a championship. And I think to win championships, if you don't have multiple superstars and this isn't a knock on CJ, he's been a 20 point a game score for the last seven years, which not a lot of people do, but there hasn't been a team that's won a title without Durant, Kawhi or LeBron in like 12 years. Like you need one of those guys to win an NBA title at this point. And I just think, unfortunately, the Blazers fans need someone to point to or a thing to point to and say, okay, that is the reason why we can't compete for a championship. It's X, Y, and Z. And once we figure out X, Y, and Z, then we can make a serious run. I guess I would caution Blazer fans. And there are a fair number of them who want Terry Stotts to be replaced. Be careful what you wish for, because there's a lot of head coaches out there who don't coach a team for a decade. And there's a reason for that. Most NBA coaches, I don't necessarily think, make a ton of impact on their team. I think it's about keeping the locker room together, keeping players happy, making sure that you're getting through the duration of an 82 game season. There's certainly there's in-game adjustments and being able to read players and all those sorts of things. I just don't think that there's a lot of candidates out there who are going to necessarily make a huge difference to the Blazers organization. If they come in as head coach, I don't know how many guys you can just say, okay, this guy's going to come in. All of a sudden the Blazers are a title contender. It's still going to take roster adjustments. It's still going to take a bit of good fortune. Look at how good the West is this season. Even if everything went right for the Blazers this year and it all came together and they were this championship caliber team, Utah and Phoenix still had these incredible seasons. Like they finishes the sixth seed. I feel like their ceiling was probably the five seed considering the roster and everything else going on in the Western conference point that I'm trying to make is even if everything goes right, it's really hard to win an NBA championship. This is the Blazers 51st season. They've won it one time. Yeah. And there's some teams in the NBA still that have never won it. So exactly. So you, so you have to take a look at, at that factor as well. Um, all right. So uh, let's wrap it up by asking you, you've had a chance to see all the playoff teams now. Um, who do you expect to eventually meet in the finals? I want to say Milwaukee out of the East. I, I, I really, really want to say Milwaukee um, because of Giannis and how impressive they looked in the first round. And Brooklyn has looked spotty at times with those three dudes, those three superstars. Um, 
I just, I just think Brooklyn finds a way to get it done out of the East. I, I think Milwaukee gives them a hell of a series. Um, but I, but I, but I think it's Brooklyn. I don't think Philly is going to really do much. Unfortunately, I, I like them at times throughout the regular season. Like I could have talked myself into them, uh, probably a couple two week stretches throughout the year, but I think ultimately it's Brooklyn that comes out of the East. The West feels so wide open right now, which is, which is why I think Blazer fans can talk themselves into a run because I don't think there's necessarily a clear favorite in the Western conference. Looking at everyone, I think it's probably Utah. I, I know that Utah hasn't done it and they have to get through a lot of teams that are way more experienced than them, but we saw how different they are with Donovan Mitchell back in the lineup. Gobert has been absolutely dominant. They're so deep and they make so many threes and they just, they just don't stop. I mean, they can have three guys having an off night and they still have so many other scoring options that can get you 20 points. I just feel like Utah is going to be relentless if they don't get overwhelmed by someone like a healthy Lakers team or if the Clippers figure it out. Um, I have, I, di- I didn't think I would say this two weeks ago, wheels, but I have, I have Utah and Brooklyn in the finals right now. Okay. No, if it's Utah, Milwaukee, the network uh, will, uh, ABC will not be too happy, but, uh, <laughs> no. uh, but, uh, but it, it could be good basketball. And that's uh, as, 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 as purist as we are, uh, we would probably appreciate it if it comes down to that. Uh, all right, sir, before we let you go, tell everybody how they can follow you on Twitter, Instagram, if you have that and, uh, Make sure they catch your thoughts anytime they would like to. Yeah. So I'm uh, at Joe Simon says on all social media platforms, mostly Twitter, Instagram. Occasionally uh, you'll see me arguing with Danny Morang on there about things that are important and unimportant alike. You can of course catch us on NBC sports Northwest following the post game show uh, for blazers outsiders that we're we're still cranking away. It's, it's a blast. And uh, Hey, look, the blazers are playing basketball in June. So that's not a bad thing. Now, if the Blazers get to the second round, which, of course, takes local TV out of the mix, which I've always thought was curious decision by the NBA to do that. I guess that protects the network uh, telecast a little bit. But you guys will still be working, correct? Correct. When they made their run uh, to the Western Conference Finals in 2019, we uh, were still on the air in the second round of the Western Conference Finals. And uh, that was one of the most memorable days that we had was uh, I believe it was game three or four back home uh, in the semifinals when it was the four overtime game. I believe we went on the air at 1225 a.m., which is our latest start time to date. So, yeah, we're still on the air no matter what. Uh, Keep us locked in at uh, NBC Sports Northwest. Joe, pleasure being with you. Great insights as always. And uh, uh, try keeping Danny in line. I know that's uh, that's that's a hard job to do. Best but I can. You guys make a great team, and uh, hopefully you'll have some good, positive things to talk about beginning tomorrow night with Game Five, and uh, hopefully a, a nice long run for the Blazers before all is said and done. But thanks for the time today on the podcast. Thank you, Wheels. Appreciate it. Joe Simon's on our Believe in Blazers podcast for this Monday. When we talk to you next, it'll be Wednesday, and a chance to uh, recap how things go tomorrow night in Game Five: the Blazers and the Nuggets. And uh, Chad Doing is going to be our guest on Wednesday. So uh, another interesting young man to talk about and uh, lots of lots of opinions about the Blazers and the NBA, uh, certainly from Chad. So we'll get those on Wednesday. But uh, until then, enjoy the rest of your Memorial Day. And uh, let's hope for a good ball game tomorrow, game five. And maybe the Blazers get control of this series with a chance to wrap things up at Moda Center on Thursday. That would certainly be very positive. We'll hope for that as they uh, head to Denver as we speak to get ready for game five tomorrow. I'm Brian Wheeler. Have a terrific rest of this Monday. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday and believe in Blazers podcast brought to you as always by that online. Talk to you again on Wednesday. So long, everybody.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.